Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Tourpreneur Podcast. Today, we get the story behind Fork and Walk Tours, which is an independent tour company based in Berlin. They also offer tours. Since last year, they've been offering tours in Munich. They focus on the local food scene, meeting the creators and chefs behind the scenes and revealing the stories and history through its diverse food and culture. And today we reveal the story behind Fork and Walk Tours. How did it get started? What are they doing that's a little bit different? How do they go about creating their tours? How do they build relationships with restaurants and food vendors? How do they create wonderful experiences? How do they build up their business with corporate and groups? That's something I know I get a lot of questions about here at Tourpreneur. How are they marketing their tours and what are their plans post-COVID? So, this one is action-packed. Feeling uh, thank to Dove for joining us today and being up for sharing the story behind Fork and Walk Tours. <laughs> Berlin, how are you, Dove? Or uh, wie geht's? <laughs> wie geht's good. <laughs> Fantastic, actually, yeah. Very well in the summer sunshine today. Yes, I'm really excited to talk to you because regular listeners know that one of my favorite cities in the entire world is Berlin. And... <laughs> I'm a little bit frustrated on many fronts about COVID, but one thing on a personal level that affected me was I was due to spend three months in your beautiful city this summer learning German Mm. at German language school. So obviously that went out of the window. And apart from learning German and enjoying German beer, the other thing I was looking forward to was going on lots of tours in Berlin. Can you share a little bit more about Fork and Walk Tours Berlin with our audience? Yeah, so we are a food tour company. We're actually based in Berlin and in Munich. Berlin's 2016 and Munich since last year. And our aim is always to present a number of different sides of Berlin from a culinary perspective. So to also tell the history of Berlin through its food. It obviously has quite a colourful history itself and Germany as a whole. So that's one perspective. And to show the local side of each individual suburb. When we talk about Berlin, Berlin's very individual. Each area is quite different to one another. So each sort of tell a different story, whether it's from a community base or from a sustainability base or right up to your street foods and your markets. We really try to connect people with the history and the culture and the food. And so they exactly feel like a local Berliner for the day is what we're looking for in the nutshell. 
Brilliant. So where did you get the idea of launching a food tour? What was the inspiration? Well, it more stems from probably my background. I grew up in Melbourne in Australia, grew up in a Jewish community. And as many people know, you tend to be force-fed a lot of food by your grandparents as growing up. It's a very big part of our culture, sitting around and eating. And so this was probably the initial plant in my mind that I was not aware of at a very early stage. And when I eventually moved to Berlin in the latter years, post-university days and a bit of travel in between and working, I landed in Berlin and I was, like many people, including yourself who said that you were meant to come over here in the summer, I was absolutely inspired by the city. And it's back then already in 2006, the culinary scene you could see was just on the verge of going through a boom. And the food tours here were representing a very much German-based food tours. So there was nothing actually representing Berlin culture. And so we saw a real unique side to actually present Berlin from this angle and really dive deep into the individual areas. And this was very inspiring in terms of out of love presenting this city. That was an initial stepping stone, but this was far off actually the start of walk and walk tours. I was myself working in business travel and this is, it was my profession for 13 years. So it was very hard to leave and eventually take the step to open up fork and walk. But over the years of working, I was just continually inspired by the city itself and its forward way of thinking in terms of the food industry. We're talking about all different angles from meats, vegan, sustainability topics. So yeah, eventually took the dive and took the plunge and started to open up a number of tours in the city. So talk me through those early days. So you have the idea, you have the passion. What were some of the barriers to getting up and running for you? Definitely one thing I think with all, let's say, entrepreneurs or anyone who wants to open a business is is taking that dive out of your full-time job. That's always a concern because you're not going to get up and running immediately. So that was obviously something that was in the back of my mind initially. I think really the focus was to open the business without too many fixed costs or elements that are really financially going to burden a baby company, a newborn company. And I think this is really important in the beginning steps, of course, if you have a lot of capital at hand, then fantastic. <laughs> but if you do not, like a lot of people, this is definitely an important point to consider. And, and this really worked for us in the first years to not jump over the border. I mean, as it turned out, our, our first and second year were fantastic. So we were lucky in that sense, but we also thought we had a great product. So in those early days, how did you get the word out about Fork and Walk Tours? Yeah, exactly. That's it. You have to look organically. And for us, I would say maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's an element of luck, but I think definitely presenting a fantastic website is key. Something that obviously customers are able to navigate around really well, simple things like, like your booking system and then your book now processes. This is obviously one way. Social media is huge. I mean, yes, you have to jump on. For us, it was jumping onto Facebook, jumping onto Instagram, making ourselves noticeable within the market. When you do obviously get some bookings, it's hopefully really ensuring that you are presenting your fantastic product 
and you're receiving your five-star reviews on TripAdvisor, even though we all <laughs> find that <laughs> the TripAdvisor uh, review system not, not so friendly all the time, but it is key for business. So for us, those three simple points of having really presenting your product as best you can. So you design you design your food tour, and of course, it's unlike a walking tour where we can pretty much walk around and show monuments and statues and histories and streets and buildings. You don't really need permission for that. But for the food tour side of this, you need to then build a relationship and a partnership with food vendors and restaurants. So how did you go about that? And I'm talking pretty much the, the early days because you know maybe no one's heard of you. You're just starting mm. out. How did you convince the food vendors to work with you? Yeah, fantastic point. <laughs> this is definitely something, you know, and Berlin, I find, is extremely unique in this point. In Berlin, when you present small companies with business opportunities, let's say, by bringing people in, they're very focused on their local communities. So although they may prefer to stick with their local communities and you bringing in outside parties. So for us, it was really important to work with people who loved our concept. Well, these were places that, I mean, myself personally had been to quite often. Obviously, I loved them. I mean, the establishments we chose were, were based off the background of my own loves of the local areas around the city. Yes, you have to develop that relationship with the shops or with the cafes or with the restaurants, and they have to be 100% keen. And if they are not keen to back the product and be happy to allow to bring people in, then it's probably not worth it in the end. But luckily for us, I would say literally, I'd say 99% of these small places were very, very happy. And I think for us, it was key to be keeping groups to smaller numbers, which we still do nowadays. It's, it's a maximum of eight. We ensure that groups are not changing the way the local flow is coming into that cafe, let's say, or to that small restaurant. We don't want anything special that anyone else who is coming in off the street is receiving in terms of the plate presentations, in terms of the price. So this was very important for our suppliers to know that we are not going to change anything to the way they have to do business. We're simply presenting them with more business. Absolutely. Were there any restaurants that you absolutely loved and you wanted on your tour and you approached them and they said to you, no, this isn't for us? Uh, yeah. Were there any that said no to you that you were able later to then convince to work with you? We definitely had doubters in the beginning. And I think mm. the initial email that went out and then follow-up call, that we quite often got a, a negative response. But then it was saying, look, I'll just come in, I'll have a quick chat with you, I'll explain to you a bit more clearly about it because really I think it's fantastic and it's going to be great for, for both of us. And then they usually turn, it's that face-to-face -face meeting which really changes everything. But yeah, I mean, even now, because we don't stick with the same suppliers all the time, Berlin's a very much fast-moving city and we like to also keep up to date with what's going on. So especially even now, we're developing another concept, um, which maybe we speak about later. We're definitely getting quite a number of no's from after a lot of effort. So, yeah, you just have to keep your options open and every setback's an experience. 
Yeah, I mean, how do you deal with that rejection? Because you know you can bring business into that restaurant. You know that the likelihood is people on that tour are probably going to go back to that restaurant on their same stay or on the next day because they love the food so much yeah. and they're saying no to you. How do you cope with that? You have to respect where they're coming from and every establishment is very individual. So, for example, if one place said no, I might actually find out or research and see they actually have no interviews about them. They have no videos about them. They're not keen on this sort of opening up to others. They just want to run their little shop and that's enough for them. It's not personal. Yeah, I think that's the key thing, right? And it's persistence and staying in touch. I mean, not being a nuisance. Don't email everyone. There's nothing worse than that. Yeah. Sharing good news or or just popping in and having a beer and having a chat, right? And having a meal there and and getting to know them, I think, is what I'm hearing from food tour operators is the most effective. Exactly. Yeah. Face-to-face always helps. Yeah. So what was the scene like at the time? So when you were launching the tours, how competitive was it? Were there lots of food tours around Berlin at that point or...? Not as many as some other very large, or let's say, capitals around Europe. So in that sense, I wouldn't say it was easier, but there was probably a big three, let's say, which is minimal. And this was another you know, inspiration to be opening up and adding to the market. Exactly. So on that stage, from a, let's say, a Google ranking perspective, it looked like it was going to be reasonably easy enough to fall into the first page but we were actually very wrong on that point because it takes a while to improve your google rating when you're opening up as a business so yes exactly so i think also very key is i mean yes there'll always be competition and there'll always be new competition you want to create something unique you want to create a unique product and a unique angle and that will also always set you in sort of a good stead for starting and continuing and staying at the top, basically. Yeah, and I always think that every food tourpreneur has a huge responsibility to the industry because, you know, I'm speaking to people who have only gone on, say, they go on one food tour and they're a bit apprehensive, but they go on, they they love it. They don't stop talking about it when they come home. (laughs) And then everywhere they go after that, what food tours can I go on? And it Mm. just makes me think that's why it's so important that we really deliver and over deliver because if someone goes on a food tour for the first time and it's a rubbish experience, Mm. they might never ever look for a food tour in another city again. Yeah, yeah, this this definitely could be the case. I actually think on that point, it is changing a little bit because food tours are becoming a popular purchase in cities. Even when they do have a bad experience, they hopefully do recover and go on to the next one. Yeah, exactly. So sort of like the history tours of uh, former times. It's really important for our whole market together to actually come together, work together, communicate, especially even within Europe. And this is happening now. And this is a result of COVID that a lot of company, food companies are starting to chat and come together and discuss ideas for the future of food tours. I was looking at one of your tours, which made me really hungry, by the way, but uh, (laughs) inside Berlin, East meets West, where you go down to Kreuzberg and Neukölln. And I remember the first time I went to Kreuzberg, I was really nervous because I'd heard like, oh, watch your wallet, watch out for pickpockets. 
But I was also told, you know, that the best Turkish food is down there. Yeah. And I just basically got off the U-Bahn, right? And I went into the first Turkish restaurant I found. I didn't really know what I was doing. And the food was great. But then there was a part of me that thought, wow, you know, I wish I could have gone with someone who really knew, knows this area. And mm. Neukölln, I've very rarely been to either. Because, you know, most of the time you go to Berlin, you kind of stay in Mitte and Prenzlauerberg. Sure. So I really like how you've designed that tour because it really gets people out of the center of Berlin, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Berlin is so interesting in that perspective with the different pockets. And it can be daunting. And this is important as tour owners and even tour guides to remind yourself that people or tourists coming into the city and taking up a tour in Kreuzberg, it might feel as a tour guide who lives in the city quite a normal area, but for them, it's not. You have to remember what it was first like when you first came to the city. And this is actually a really important part of being great tour guide is presenting it from that perspective. But yes, you're very much right. Kreuzberg and Neukölln can be extremely daunting in the, in the first month of being in the city. And uh, yeah, you have a very eclectic feel there in terms of your cultures and your street art and, and your every sort of way you see people dressed. It's quite colorful. Definitely, it is. So you started out leading the tours yourself. At what point did you then think, well, now business is good. I need to employ and recruit more tour guides. Mm, yeah, I would have actually loved to be at the point where I, I could have said, business is good, I'm, I'm taking it all off my hands. Actually, I really feel a very important part of business is investing in your own business. By that, I mean with tour companies is to invest in tour guides because as an owner, you are not the future of your company in terms of being on the front line in that perspective. So for me, I actually started with another person straight away. And then after one year, I already built that up to another four. And then in the third year, I removed myself. I still ran the press trips because we have some of them coming in from the local tourism bureau here. But yeah, I think it's really important to bring a team on board for multiple reasons, for ideas, for the development of the business, because we can't all do it ourselves. And if you're only taking your own opinion, then, well, <laughs> it's sometimes not so easy. <laughs> And because tours are our babies, right? So when you are then recruiting tour guides, you know, it's almost like you're hiring a babysitter to look after your baby in a way. What do you look for in a tour guide that you feel is right for your business? Yeah. Another amazing question is opening up a can of worms, I think, <laughs> because then you actually do remember back to those beginning days and not hiring the right person. So it all comes from sort of experience. It's really interesting one with food tours because, again, in Berlin, you have a plethora of historical tour guides to choose from. But when you're talking about food, you really want people who have in-depth knowledge in whatever their specialty is within the culinary fields and Berlin as a whole itself and Germany. So this is something we really look for nowadays, people who are literally specialized in addition really have the years of experience in the city and that applies to Berlin and Munich. Definitely people who have lived in the city for say four to five plus years and still they must be very well in tune with what is going on here and keeping up to date with the culinary scene. And on the other end is also having historical knowledge of the city because everyone who comes, even if they're taking a food tour, they still are interested in this side of Berlin. And it also definitely intertwines and our stories intertwine 
with those of your street food vendor from the 1960s and how that developed and the stories that connect from the World War One to the Berlin Wall. I think experience is key and people who can communicate with, with groups or with whether they're small groups or, or larger groups of 10 to 15 who can problem solve, who can multitask. How do you test for that? Because, you know, someone could say, oh, yeah, I fix problems. I do this. I do that. I know the history. I'm good with people. How do you then test for that? Exactly. Again, something very interesting. Over time, you are able to read those people, but you still have to run some tests prior to hiring someone. And it's very much key, obviously, to if you're really keen on them, they've had a great interview. It's really keen to have them on the tour or on multiple tours. Then you need to run practice tours with them yourself. So they are actually running the tour themselves. So it is a daunting process for an owner and it is a lengthy process, to be honest, but it's 100% worth doing the background work and seeing whether these people are switched on and also having being very clear in your head what you're looking for and the potential guide knows, has a checklist of how they should be presenting and how they should be presenting themselves and what sort of feedback they should be giving. So I think it comes from both sides. Very good points. And I think it's something that we all need to be really aware of with hiring. And I know as someone myself, I've hired hundreds of salespeople in my previous jobs. And if you get that decision wrong, it's just so much stress, so much you know, energy is wasted and time is wasted. So it's critical to get that right. And it's impossible to get every hire right. You know, We're all going to make a bad hire from time to time. So what about the other side? What do you think is your top tip for other tourpreneurs out there in terms of your relationship with your tour guides? What have you learned in the last couple of years in terms of fostering a really good relationship with tour guides? Yeah, I think once you've chosen the right people or who you think are the right people, you just have to think as an employee, really. I mean, what do you want as an employee to work for a great company? You want to have rewards, you want to have benefits, things like regular meetups, taking the team out for dinner once a month, keeping them in communication, having them involved within the creation of tours. We have our public side, but a big part of our business is also corporate. And these are a lot of customized tours. So they can 100% be involved in the discussion process and what is best going to fit to this certain demographic that they want to hold a tour with us. I think it's, yeah, they're really interested in being a part of the business in a sort of sense. Right. Yeah, good advice. On the corporate side of things, how did that get started? Yeah, that's actually... <laughs> I can't, can't really give an amazing story on that one. I think we sort of just fell into it. Whenever I look back at it now, I kind of think, well, maybe it was the way simply our website was designed in a very clean and easy format. A lot of, not a lot, I can't say a lot, but sometimes when I look at a food tool website, they're quite messy and I can't work out where to go. It was very nice and easy and simple. And it seemed to attract the corporate clients. And we, we literally just started receiving emails and it grew on its own. I mean, when you run a corporate tour and it goes really well, they usually review on Google as opposed to TripAdvisor. And this definitely helps when other companies are looking into it or you eventually acquire bigger companies such as, I don't know, Allianz or someone, and they have multiple teams within their companies all around the world. So you have people continually coming from that one company. And how do you build on those relationships? What advice do you have? So you have some corporates booking with you. Do you check in with them every three months or do you email mm. them updates? What do you do? 
I think with corporates, your uh-huh. absolute key is response. It doesn't matter if you're, I mean, obviously what you, you're the, pres- the product you are offering them and presenting to them because they're looking at a number of companies and not just of yours and they're getting offers from everywhere. It's obviously, of course, have a great product which fits whatever their request, but response time is the biggest because if you're responding straight away, they reply, you reply again, you're in basically. The other person's taken two, three days to reply. Sure, it might look okay, but they don't have the time for this to go back and forth. They want someone who replies, looks fantastic, has a great background record, let's say. And that's definitely the, the best start you can get with corporate. Yeah, there's a lot more writing on that versus, you know, taking a group tour of tourists, right? Massive, yeah. <laughs> you know, the repeat business potential as well. Plus also that corporate might be organizing a food tour for a prospective client who's coming into town. Or what I used to see in San Francisco was, you know, you're interviewing people, they're coming into San Francisco, you want them to have a great time because you want them to take the job. So you you can't afford for the tour to go wrong. Exactly. Responsibility. That's a good point. Yeah. Just changing gears a little bit in terms of your sales. And I mean, if you want to talk pre-COVID, that's fine as well for now. But what percentage of your tour sales would you say come from organic marketing versus paid marketing versus OTAs if you work with those? Yeah, we actually do not do paid marketing. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, we ventured slightly into it in the first year with a very small amount, but it was not proving the correct result. And actually, it was probably because I was not so sure on how to use those sort of tools effectively enough to warrant the costs. And the way business was running and developing, I didn't see a need for it. I wouldn't say I would definitely 100% like to venture into that side. And uh, pre-COVID, it was looking like at least we would be able to spend a good budget on advertising, but obviously things have changed. So I can't necessarily recommend not to fork out in that region did you know every weekday shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest grab your copy of the tourpreneur daily briefing at www.tourpreneur.com do you think if you were starting today so again let's forget covid which i know is hard to do but if you were starting today do you think right it's competitive out there? there's a lot of photos i'm gonna have to spend money on facebook ads or google ads or you do the same thing as you did several years ago? I would do the same thing. The way I was brought up from my parents who also own many businesses, some okay, some not so okay. And uh, I saw a lot of downturn to investment that didn't work out correctly. And this is not something I wanted to run into in our, our years. I mean, we've still only been operating since 2016. We're in, you know, still within this five-year startup period in saying that i think growing organically staying strong on that market is the best thing you can do it gives you room to maneuver in future years so were people finding you via google search via seo was that the the way they were finding you or yeah yeah people were finding us through exactly yeah i was shocked myself it wasn't to be honest really through instagram or facebook even though we were present on there and we posted regularly as a new company, you're pretty busy in terms of your head and how to operate and what's going on and building your team. I would just say if you're going to invest, don't do it just because you have the money. Find out how to do it 
yeah. and do it well. <laughs> we just had a major discussion on our Facebook group at Tourpreneur. I asked, I said, look, I have this downtime. I want to learn Facebook ads. I'll be honest with you. Facebook ad manager terrifies me. Um, you know, what courses are you all doing? And most people came back and said, oh, I need to learn this as well. I need to learn this as well. And there were very few people saying, oh, follow this course or follow that course. But, you know, and quite a few people said, oh, yeah, you know, I've burnt through quite a bit of money on Facebook because I didn't really take the time to study it either. It was just like, well, everyone else is doing it. I have to do it. And the other thing I learned was it's not just knowing how to use Ad Manager, but also we just had an episode recently about you know copywriting and how that's a whole science and you could have the best product but how do you position it on a facebook ad what photo is going to work what copy is going to work so you do need to dedicate a lot of time to it yeah exactly that just it all it all sparks minefields for me and it would be fantastic to know more or have a marketing team that would be great too <laughs> yeah this is this yeah yeah. So, you know, now we're in obviously this terrible time with the pandemic. Where do you see yourself investing your energy and time for the rest of this year and, and early into next year? Yeah, I think what we have been doing is what I can tell you is definitely investing time into our team, keeping in touch, keeping the communication up, making sure that I don't float off somewhere else and all keeping together. I mean, even our team, they, they go out with one another every so often. I think this is really important. And we were really busy last year and had a lot of projects in mind that we wanted to start. And this is really the perfect opportunity or has been the perfect opportunity to take a step back and, well, of course, fix up things like your taxes, but um, also looking into this food toolbox operation, which was not actually an initial idea from COVID. It just happened to run into the same market, let's say, and moving into package tours, also something else we were looking into. So I think there's a lot of areas as as food tour companies, you could revisit all your suppliers and just keep up the contact. This is what we've been doing. And this is what initially is fulfilling us. Of course, none of it brings in too much revenue at this stage. How helpful has the German government been to businesses like yours? Mine personally and similar ones, not too helpful, I would say. We had an initial injection to cover, let's say, probably two months. So it hasn't been much. And this is why us as a company, I'm fairly relaxed because the bigger companies are struggling much more than the smaller ones, let's say. So it's not a case of the bigger companies are being looked after by the government as opposed to the smaller. And I ask that because we're seeing that here in the US where the small guy is struggling and these big companies are getting big loans and, and whatever from the government. Yeah, as a big company, you can receive these loans, but I don't see a loan as beneficial to any company. You're running yourselves into debt and usually the handouts, they are, they are handing out some money to, let's say, medium to large companies. But these are covering employees' wages and health insurances, which are quite big here, and just some of the fixed costs that the companies have. So they may be, if they're lucky, balancing at zero. For companies like ours, or let's say food tour companies versus, say, your Viator, it's a good opportunity for us to step up in the market. Are you working with any of the OTAs? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mention that before. Yeah, we work with, yeah, exactly. We're working with your Viators and Expedia and your, get your guide and like a local. We work with all of those guys and exactly, and some DMCs. We still are working with them when the business comes through. And how are they for you as a channel? Is it a serious channel of business for you or? 
this is a point, sorry, I should have gone back on it and I should have come up at the time when you said, you know, how did you actually grow at the beginning? You know, of course, we were found organically, but Biotool were very helpful. Well, not a lot, but I know some companies aren't really for Viator, but uh, or, or Kluke. But they are really helpful in those beginning stages. But yes, you are giving up a large percentage of your profits. I can hear some hesitancy in your voice, and I wouldn't be. You know, I worked OTAs for 20 years, yeah. so I've been the other side. I've seen the revenues they can bring in. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I know for some tour operators, they are a serious channel of business, and they bring in a lot of bookings. So 100%. I don't want tour operators to come on the show and feel like just because there's a lot of bitterness online that they can't talk about how well an OTA has performed for them. <laughs> I love to hear both sides. Yeah, exactly. It, well, it's mixed results. As you go along in your years of your own business, you wait for the day where you can put them aside. But uh, at the end of the day, they are beneficial and they stream your products to a number of other OTAs. So yeah, I think some are great to work with and some are complicated in terms of their back end and their flexibilities. I would definitely say it's worth it. For example, for Munich, which started last year, that was probably 80% of our business through OTAs. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting with OTAs because I don't think that they do a particularly good job of promoting food tours. You know, when you land on their main sites, if you've got, you know, Berlin tours, I don't see them really promoting food tours as much as I would like to see them. In my own experience as a consumer, you really have to dig deep into their site to find food tours. This is why I'm always surprised, actually. Let's say for Munich, because that's more recent, we did receive the amount of bookings we did last year. It is a lot. They don't, they don't call you by your name. So people don't really know what company they're booking with. They just have a name of a tour. So it's a bit of risk, obviously. It is really interesting. Do your guides wear any apparel or anything to represent Fork and Walk Tours Berlin? No, we really like to stay off the advertising scene while we're moving. We really want to keep it local. And exactly, that's just part of our concept. Yeah. I only ask because I just before COVID broke, I went on a food tour in Montreal and I knew it was with secret food tours because, mm. you know, I work, I'm in the bubble, right? But I asked my fellow guests, I was like, oh, you know, how did you book this tour? And they all said, oh, I, I searched online. Nobody said I used Viator, I used Get Your Guy. And then I said, oh, so, you know, do you know the name of this food tour company? And, and no one knew the name of the food tour. <laughs> yes. It was a great tour. Nobody knew. Yeah. And the guy didn't have any, you know, even her umbrella didn't have secret food tours on it. And, and I think to myself, I was like, wow, you know, that, is there an opportunity missed? When we meet the group, yes, we have a fork and walk badge on because you could be meeting with anyone. You're coming into a new city, especially with us. You're meeting in uh, really suburban areas. So it can feel a bit unusual sometimes, not like a big central point like Brandenburg Gate. So yes, this is important for us initially. I know definitely when I ran the food tours and I believe my guides do the same. When we introduce ourselves and everyone in the group also introduces themselves at the beginning, we advise, you know, some of you might have booked over this company or that company, just to let you know, this is our name. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. What investments in your business, whether financial or time or anything else, would you say have paid off the most for you? Um, good question. I mean, it has to be time. In the end, if you're starting a company like this, you generally have a deep love for what you're doing. So time becomes sort of irrelevant compared to when you're working in that job that you don't want to be working in. So those hours become a lot easier. Yeah, you work seven days a week and you think by owning your own business that you are more flexible, especially with family <laughs> and that and, and holidays, you can go on whenever you want. And sure, you can, but you'll be working. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you never switch off. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so this is the investment. This is 100% the investment, but the goal I think should be, and it's definitely our goal, is that in the years to come, your investment and your time investment will grow the company enough that you have someone managing the company. I asked Jessica Hammer of uh, Taste of Toulouse because I know she she's been on the show and she enjoyed one of your tours and just in Berlin and she wrote a beautiful review. And I asked if she had any questions for you and she said, Fork and Walk have just launched a beautiful new website. What things did they keep in the forefront of their minds during the redesign? What were the non-negotiable things that the new website had to have? <laughs> what were the big changes they made to hopefully drive more conversions? Hi, Jessica. That's a real entrepreneur question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you. yeah. No, I, I keep in contact with Jessica. Since you came on the tour, we've been in contact every so often. She's fantastic. She's a wealth she of knowledge. Yeah, that's right. We have launched a new website, although I've been hesitant to actually promote that as yet because there are still some final touches. And then once that comes on board, it's going to be released in the social media streams. <laughs> but yeah, really important for us was we changed our booking system. This was one very big point. Using Fair Harbor right now, correct? Exactly. We're using Fair Harbor right now. We were using Checkfront before. Checkfront are still great, but there's a number of areas which didn't suit us. And Fair Harbor, I like the way they've critiqued their booking system to food tours and their availability, their customer services is fantastic. So far, so good. Then it was the layout. It's the usage and how the customers approach the website the ease of finding the different tours and the different options. Very important. Very simple, of course. It's always in the back of your mind that you want people to easily find the product, but also the way you present it, the ease of the information that is processed by the customer. And that if they're on your page, they don't stay on there too long, that they sort of move away and think, okay, well, no, actually I'm going to book later. So we don't have the history quite yet, let's say, of the analytics to say whether that is working, but this is a big aim to increase the bookings and people find what they're looking for quicker. Also, representing our achievements is something extremely important. And after these years, we finally have quite a bit to put up there, luckily for us. So it's, you know, representing all those press trips and all those nice reviews from public and private corporates, also starting to really create a corporate section of our page which is not fully finished but it's, it's live <laughs> well, i love that that was going to be one of my comments too Dove, that i think it's great that you've separated that out because if i am working for a corporate and i come on i can see right away you're serious about it and there's a separate page for corporate group and team building and i think you know as opposed to if i land on a food or something that doesn't have that you know, I would definitely be coming to you for information. So I think that's smart of you to add that section to the site. I also love that it's clean, it's fast, it has all the information I'd be looking for. And I have to tell you, as somebody who loves Berlin, <laughs> I absolutely love your logo. Ah, thank you. Thank you. With the fork and the fins, <laughs> uh, the TV tower and the fork. Who came up with that? Yeah, this is actually, we have so much great feedback about the logo. It's just amazing. It was actually a Japanese lady in Australia who's a designer and I sat down with her friends of friends at the beginning and we just nutted out she well, she basically nutted out the ideas from my head of what I was looking for and then she put her own touches on it and it's this ease and clean cut logo that's really worked well it's very adaptable so we're happy to I love it thank you 
talk a little bit about productivity because of, with running a business, what would you say are the tools or apps that are indispensable to you for your business or even for your personal productivity? What tools or apps are you using to be more efficient in business mm. or to be more organized yourself? Mm. That gets me thinking. <laughs> I have to think of that myself, actually. To be honest, keep it pretty simple. In terms of Google Sheets and Google Documents, yeah, this is a big part of our ways of communication. I mean, it's, it's very easy. Everyone has access to it from our accountants to our guides in terms of sharing documents. Uh, let me even think what we use. They're probably there. Maybe I just use them without thinking. Well, if you want to have a think about it and email me, I'll, I'll add them to the show notes for today. <laughs> yeah. Talkmere.com forward slash 108. Because I know what it's like. If you looked at your phone and said, what do I use the most? And say, oh yeah, if that went, you know, it could be WhatsApp. It could be anything. Yeah, Google Maps. Google Map and WhatsApp, actually, because WhatsApp with this is a great way to communicate with our bookers, with our clients, especially turning up on the day if they're late or especially the corporates, corporates massively for WhatsApp, obviously just calling them, but you know, you want to call them leading up to the day and on the day because you're dealing with bigger numbers and a lot more organization. Great. What about books? Are there any books that inspired you along your journey as a tourpreneur? As I said, coming from a Jewish background in any way, you're sort of ingrained with World War II and the Holocaust growing up. So moving here, you sort of keep delving into those areas a bit more intensely and although that's not culinary based at all it's definitely inspiration for when you're just walking around the city but nowadays actually it's critiqued into now I'm reading a book on tastes at the moment and this is sort of where it's moving also a bit more into the sustainability and the meat processes within the country within Germany veganism I'm just I'm just trying to think of a book itself to recommend. Were there any business books or anything that helped you build your business or grow your business? I would love to say yes. But, uh, I, even though I studied business management at university, I know it really wasn't books. To be honest, what held me personally in the best stead was my experiences through business travel. That probably doesn't help other people if it's sort of recommending books well to be honest with you a lot of entrepreneurs i speak to we don't have time to read or we didn't pre-code <laughs> yeah. so no it's not like you know this is uh, interviewing a richard branson i mean and also now many of us are not flying or traveling so that i mean personally it's really hit my reading time yeah yeah i mean i always have a book next to the desk but uh, whether that gets read is another story but that's true i probably haven't delved into that area as much but for me i'm, I'm very much an experienced hands-on person so as much as I love the reading, I want to see it, feel it, experience it, and then know how to use it. Absolutely. My final question for you is, how do you achieve a work-life balance? Like you've recently become a dad for the second time. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I think this is something that all of us tourpreneurs really struggle with. But you know, how do you achieve a work-life balance? How do you ever switch off and make sure that you have time for family? Yeah, very good question. This stems from, you know, the beginning of your work career post-university days. It's very important to create that work-life balance. And for me, it's really putting a timing. I mean, you could work every single day, 24 hours on your own business, if you can stay awake. But if you go home, let's say 6 p.m., you're going to have just as much to do the following day. But instead, you've also had that time to spend with your family, 
and to cook and clean and to and also clean your own head. It's not worth killing yourself over. We can see it now with COVID, and it's always been the forefront of my style of actually living. Works fantastic. It's nice to have money if you can, but life is much more important, your quality of life. And this is something that's really presented in Berlin, in the city itself, being a lot more laid back, not so much money-centric like, let's say, a London or a New York or a Melbourne, where I'm from. Yes, and so quality is much better. Sound advice. I have to say, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I've been to Berlin probably over 20 times. <laughs> um, that's much of a fan I am. I've been on Cold War tours. I've been on walking tours, bike tours. I'm yet to go on a food tour of Berlin. Oh, so I will wow. definitely, I hope that arrival goes ahead in Berlin in March next year. Yeah. And uh, I will definitely be there for that. And I will come on your tour. Thank you. Really excited about that. My problem in Berlin is. And you can tell us by my waistline, I love your beer and I love your doing a kebab. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look at the positive side. There's a lot to learn. <laughs> there is. So I'll definitely be going on, on the food. But there's tour, there's so, nothing uh, like a good kebab. So, you know, you're in the right spot. You just don't get them like that in the United States, I have to I say. And they're cheap. So, yes. you know, like, you know, four or five euros that and a bottle of Berliner Kindle and you're away. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Problem is, you've also had your full calories for the day when you do that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a lot of uh, when you're traveling, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dove, thank you very much for coming on today's show and sharing more yeah. about the story behind your business, which we can find at forkandwalktoursberlin.com. All the show notes and links for today's episode can be found at tourpreneur.com forward slash 109. Cheers, Dove. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.